This week on the Totally Biased Media Podcast, we give our thoughts on Deathloop and some big news from Nintendo. Jordan tells us about Tales of Arise. Is that Chocobo wearing roller skates? And more. Stay tuned for another and another and another episode of TBM. I'm Jackson Walkup, and I'm a little lad who loves berries and cream. I'm Jason Simmons, and I'm cursed to relive this podcast for the rest of my days. I'm Jordan Walkup, and I am eternal. For a little while, at least. Folks, we're digging into Arcane Studios' newest game, Deathloop. Now this studio, if you're unfamiliar, also brought some big hits like Dishonored, and some whatever the equivalent of a medium hit uh prey now this game much in the spirit of arcane's other games is an rpg immersive sim first person shooter sort of stealth game it wears a lot of hats and we're gonna get into exactly what that looks like soon but what else you got to know? This is published by Bethesda Softworks, which is now part of Xbox Game Studios. But somehow this game is a PS5 exclusive. I'm not really sure how we ended up with that. Also, fun fact, this isn't even the last PS5 exclusive Xbox Game Studios game. Isn't Ghostwire Tokyo going to be a PS5 exclusive? Yeah, and that one's crazy because it, it's directed direct, or it's being made directly by Xbox Game Studios, I believe. Well, I will say, it wasn't until, what, last year or early this year that Xbox bought Bethesda, right? Yeah, it's still it's still a relatively new system, but that doesn't necessarily affect Ghostwire. It's definitely why this game... This game has already been planned to be a PlayStation exclusive for years, I am sure, and then the merger happened. Actually, I just looked it up, and apparently uh, Bethesda is still... It's still separate from Xbox Game Studios. So games like, uh, or, you know, companies like Mojang, Double Fine, and Obsidian are under the Xbox Game Studios umbrella, but companies like Arcane, uh, Bethesda Proper, and id are still under Bethesda. Interesting. But Bethesda is under Microsoft as the parent company, right? Yeah. Okay. It's confusing. But regardless, Deathloop, a game made by a game made by a studio owned by Microsoft, is a PS5 exclusive. So and PC. Oh yeah, yeah, it is on PC as well. I apologize, man. This this whole intro is just full of like, well, actuallys, and like, that's probably not the best energy you want in a podcast. But we're just gonna charge on through. Well, I've been reliving this podcast for so long that <laughs> you at just... some point I just needed to start correcting them. Yeah, yeah. And speaking of charging on through, I'm kicking us off on the review of this game because I want to get a couple things as out in the open as possible. To do that, I'm going to start by putting, laying out a couple of things that I think this game actually doesn't do super well. 
Will you please do it as a wrap? I will not, because that would be insufferable for all parties involved, especially me. Hey, it worked when Porky Pig did it. <laughs> yeah, that it worked. That's what happened. <laughs> hey, and when Daffy Duck did it. <laughs> God. Okay. So, a couple of things this, ga- this game struggles with. I think the enemy AI is rough at best. <laughs> it's It's some pretty bad AI, and it sort of makes both aggressive combat and stealth a bit too easy because of it a lot of the progression of this game is set up in such a way where the power curve kind of has you really strong really early and for the most part like probably two-thirds of the game i was more just fine-tuning the loadout i had already come up with as compared to like still trying to improve my character so like power curves a little bit little bit front heavy and then lastly i think that the quest tracking is in a weird spot where it's kind of necessary to piece together some things but it doesn't necessarily give you enough information without it to put it all together yeah that was part of my issue i i think i told you guys just from like the preliminary gameplay that i had seen from other reviewers before the launch that you would want to turn off the like hint and quest tracking stuff but then i tried playing without it and it's it's too much like yeah it 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 gives you it gives you pertinent information that would be very hard to put together outside of that yeah and then there's also just when you're starting the game especially in the beginning like you need to be led around because i mean at this point i could probably travel around most of those maps and do a bunch of stuff just by being given really vague directions but i mean i spend a lot of time in each of these four maps and i still don't necessarily feel super comfortable getting around some of them that's one of my biggest problems with the maps is that some of them you have to go to a lot more than others for instance the like the main like city area up dom um you go there probably like two times as much as any other location. Like I have that place pretty much mapped down the back of my hand, but like uh, one of the more less visited areas, um, the like uh, not the complex. Um, ah, what's it? Carl's Bay. The one that one is pretty early on, but you do not go there much at all. <laughs> That's I definitely know that one less than the other three. Like, I know the other three pretty well, like, could get around without too much trouble. That one, I'm still, like, a little bit hazy on, like, how, the how like, the different sections of the map kind of are stitched together. Before we get into, the, like, the good stuff, I do want to go back to the enemy AI stuff. Because it's real rough. <laughs> uh, for instance, there is a big mansion in one of the maps, and... I alerted pretty much everyone in there on accident, and I kind of just stood in a stairwell, and even though there was like 10 or more of them, they wouldn't even try to come at me. They just stood there, (laughs) which also brings up another point. This game is entirely too easy. It is very easy. Whether you're running stealth or running gun, it's too easy. At that point, it really just comes down to preference. There are a few moments in the game where one might be better than the other, 
but for the most part, they're just both entirely too easy. I I honestly feel like in the beginning, the first few loops, like you definitely are led towards doing stealth, but after it opens up, it's yeah, there doesn't really seem to be that big of a reason to do stealth other than achievements. Or if you prefer it, like I do. <laughs> well, and I actually don't I don't really consider it being super easy as as much of a like a set negative as much as that was a way to make it to where this could just be your preference like i did i probably did 80 percent like aggressive shotguns in their face type fighting and then probably 20 percent stealth and like really clearly planned out you know routes and things like that but it was all fun like it was all like the fact that enemies go down too easily i think made it feel more explosive and the fact that the ai was predictable is is bad but it also meant you really knew what you were getting into most of the time yeah yeah don't get me wrong even with saying that that it's an easy game and that the ai is not great it's still really fun i didn't think it really got that easy until i started getting really overpowered weapons I, I think the thing that really ruins the difficulty curve, at least for combat, I, I mean, stealth is obviously its own thing. Uh, but I, I think the thing that really made combat get too easy was it got to a certain point where you would get really, really good weapons <laughs> a little too quickly. Yeah, I mean, you could literally have the, le- like, you could have multiple legendary weapons within a couple of hours if you knew where to go, or like me, just happened to stumble into a place that had one totally by accident. And it's it's kind of wild how good some of the weapons in this game are compared to others. Like, none of the weapons feel totally useless, but there are some where you just read the description the first time and you're like, oh, this thing is going, like, I'm going to murder people so fast with this thing. <laughs> Yeah, I I feel like my game got kind of ruined difficulty-wise because fairly early on I picked up a... I don't know if it was a shotgun or what. It's like a single-shot rifle. I kind of assumed it was like a buckshot shotgun. And every time it hit something, it would explode. And it had really good range, and the explosion had its own damage on top of the bullet. So if I just aimed in the middle of a group of enemies before they saw me or even if they were just running towards me i could take out several people with one shot i i don't think it's a bad thing that you can just mow down people in this game i think the bigger problem was that they never put a challenge in your face that needed that level of power like i think the visionary should have been a little bit tougher and i think maybe there should have been some like like tanks or like turrets with a little more meat on them that are like harder to hack or to destroy like i think there should have just been a little bit more to it besides just killing people or just regular non-superpowered people and then i think it would have made a little bit better use of those really over the top builds because for me i found a shotgun that had like 30 shots in the magazine or clip or however you say it for a shotgun and then I was just like, well, I'm not using anything else ever again. And then I figured out ways to pump up its ammo and its effective range. And like, I just got to the point where I could just go in with that one shotgun, turn on this invincibility power, and just wipe out a whole room. 
it was very easy, but it was also very cool every single time that I did it. But I, I think we're getting a little bit too much into the, the weeds of things. Yeah, let's talk about the story. Like, Jason, why don't you set us up a little bit with like the plot of Deathloop? Well, I mean, it's pretty easy, a pretty simple plot. You play as Colt Vaughn, who is just a guy that wakes up on the beach, uh, and all around him he sees words telling him that he needs to... I say words, I, I do just mean, like, literal words floating in the air that only he can see. <laughs> uh, and it's basically everything's telling him that he needs to kill the seven or eight visionaries... Uh, and break the time loop that the entire island is caught up in. A lot about breaking the loop in this game. Yeah, and basically throughout the game, uh, the only other person that realizes, or not realizes, the only other person that remembers uh, every individual loop when the loop resets at the end of the day is Juliana Blake, who is the archivist for these, uh, these visionaries. And she basically taunts you and gives you advice and stuff like that as you're going through the game. They have a very interesting relationship. It's probably one of the better parts of the game. Uh, oh, yeah. It's just about Colt trying to kill all the visionaries and end the loop. Yeah. And, and every and day this... at the end of the day, there are, there are four time periods. And once all four time periods pass or Colt dies, the, the day resets. Yeah. And the entire story of this game is really told through, well, half through, you know, uh, tapes and papers and things you find around the map that sort of inform you about what the characters are doing and why. And then half through these conversations that happen with Juliana every time you're going into a, a map for the first time. And it's, it's wild how much you can glean about this relationship between Colt and Juliana just from, like, 30 seconds of dialogue at the beginning of each level. Like, the, there is so much chemistry between these characters, and they sell the characters so incredibly well, and they are so well-written. Like, I, I really love both of these two, and I really wish there had been more actual, like, on-screen together talking moments because, like... Just their whole dynamic is excellent, and it's played upon incredibly well through the entire game. Yeah, it's it's uh, something important is that when you start the game, Colt has forgotten everything that happened in the loops, you know, prior to the game. But Juliana remembers everything, and apparently, like Colt's gone through the cycle many times. So, like Juliana knows a whole lot about Colt, but Colt only knows what the player knows and what they're learning about Juliana as they go. It's, it's a really unique system across the board. This like time loops are a very played concept in video games as of late, but there's a really interesting way of handling it this time around because every day is broken, it broken down into four times of day and then four maps, which are spread across this one larger Island. And four times a day, you pick one of those four maps to go to and basically, you're just trying to figure out, basically having four four options, how can I kill eight people? And sometimes you have to figure out ways to move people to other locations. Sometimes you just need to, like, snoop until you find out that there is an overlap between these two characters. And Or like, you're sometimes just you need to create the overlap between characters. Yeah. 
Yeah, it it has this really interesting progression system that I haven't seen in a lot of other games that I was really into, and it really made you feel like I'm not just finishing missions and checking off boxes. Like, I am piecing something together here, and it felt really cool, even when I got a little too reliant on the quest markers and stuff a little bit later. This game is a murder mystery, but instead of solving the murder, you solve how to do the murder. <laughs> That's fair. I like that. <laughs> it it's also it's also very much an arcane style. Like if you have played Dishonored or Prey, which I've played both of those, but I have like done the bare minimum just like finished the story of each and have not really gone back to either since. And like I liked them. I didn't love either of them, but you can definitely see the DNA of those games in Deathloop, but it really it honed in on everything I liked about those games and then just made it better. I think it, it feels very similar to Dishonored. Yeah, I never played Prey, but this game feels like an evolution of Dishonored. There were actually many points where I thought this might take place in the same universe as Dishonored. <laughs> and it very well could. I, I don't know. There There's a lot about this world that keeps you guessing. And most of it's in a pretty cool way. Sometimes it's in a, like, I need more information than this way. But for the most part, I actually liked that there was always a, a sense of mystery to the game, even through to the very last moments. Definitely true. I will say one thing. I feel like the the paths that it sends you on, the leads that it gives you for each visionary made things a little too easy. I This is a small spoiler. I, I Not like sto story or anything, but once you've found, like once you've completed all the leads for all the different characters, it tells you like, this is what you need to do. It, it literally lays out the path and the order that you need to do things in order to kill all eight of them in one loop. And I, I think that's kind of lame. I wish that it, you know, made you kind of figure out, it's like, oh, you have all these pieces, like, you need to figure out what order you need to do these in. I was a little disappointed. I liked the fact that there was, like, the quick cutscene, because it has this very cool animated cutscenes when you, like, learn new information. I didn't mind there being, like, the quick cutscene saying, like, you gotta do this, then this, then this, in, like, an action-y way, but then, like, afterwards, the menu just straight up says, like, okay, go here and do this and this, like... That was a bit too too direct, in my opinion. I feel like literally the only part of the game that isn't completely laid out for exactly what you need to do and how you need to do it is getting the last three visionaries. Because when you're doing them, it's just it gives you an area, but it just puts question marks. Like It's like, I think this person might be here. But literally everywhere else, it's like, this is exactly where this person is. <laughs> Yeah, the most of this game, you know, you get to decide what you're doing next. But the very beginning, I'd say like first hour and a half, two hours, and then the final loop are very handholdy, especially at the very beginning. But that kind of makes more sense because you know they're introducing you to the world and stuff. But with the whole just having like the like quest line laid out at the end for how to kill everyone in one loop is kind of boring i think it would have been a lot better if they would have just been like you know figure it out 
Yeah. It, it, like, they clearly gave you all the pieces. And you can still look at, like, your previous leads that you've completed. I, I don't know. It's I guess it's kind of a small thing, really, if you think about it. And I'm sure that there's other orders you could do everything in. Um, I actually don't. I don't think, think you so. could do that path in a different order, but I, I'm sure that there's a way that you could kill all eight of them with a different order of operations. I actually don't think you'd be able to. It does move in a in a particular way where I I couldn't piece together another way to do it. It might be possible, but I can't I can't think of what it would be. It would be cool if there was just like. If there was just like a complete backdoor way to do this, like the game knows about, but it's not leading you towards like it is this main like solution. And I think one of the coolest things about this game is just that there there is a lot more to discover in this, even if the credits have rolled. And, you know, a lot of games litter the maps, like especially immersive sim type games, litter the maps with different audio logs and papers to read and just like all kinds of stuff you can find admittedly i am very rarely interested in those things like bioshock's the only game that comes to mind where i've actually like cared to seek that stuff out um but this game actually does a really good job of keeping it interesting some of the reading's a bit tedious because you'll go to a computer and have like four new emails that are all really long and half of it's just nonsense but like a lot of the stuff you can find and listen to and read is actually interesting and sheds a lot of light on the characters I think it's because there's a really small amount of story, but it's just fed to you so piecemeal. You'll get individually very small pieces of information, but they'll just spread it out between 12 different areas. And that's actually something interesting to to think about with this game. Like, just in terms of scale, this is a fairly small game. Like, none of the four maps are especially big. None of them have, like, they change at different times of day, but not in any, like, massive, massive ways. Like, a new like a new building will be open, or there might be, like, a new chunk of the map off kind of by itself that's now accessible. But realistically, there's not a ton of ground to cover here. And that is <laughs> not the norm for AAA games in 2021. Um, well, you know, I don't just know if this like, is necessarily a AAA game, is it? I, well, it's I think still... It is. It's still a real big game with a popular studio owned by one of the bigger, you know, development groups. But I, I don't even necessarily mean AAA, but it's this is certainly not an indie game by any stretch. And most big games today are, you know, I'm thinking back to like Ghost of Tsushima being the most recent one I've played that's like 80% just running around a massive open world. And that's certainly the direction a lot of games are going in. Whereas this game, the maps are smaller and tighter, but they make really good use of their space. And like every room of every building has something in it. Yeah, that's for sure. There were some areas I didn't really feel too much of a need to go to. Like the library. I feel like the first time you see it, it's played up as being like a pretty big area. It's in the middle of the the city section. And like... There's a whole bunch of people standing outside, and when, when you walk past it, like, the wor- words pop up on, you know, up in thin air, and it's like, the library is not a safe place. And then you go into the library, and there's nothing there. 
I think there might be a gun there or something if you go at a certain time of day. Well, if you go during the very first part of the day, it's presented as being this sort of armory. But, like, it's really just ammo that there's an abundance of. Like, there's not very many weapons. At least, there's definitely not any specialty weapons. All the weapons just, like... No special perks, just the base version of a weapons, at least. At well, least there that are, I found. No, there are there are several of these like blue, whatever that rarity weapon is, that are locked up in cases you have to hack to get open. But I mean, they're cool. Like, and if you go there early enough, like that would definitely come in handy. But they weren't like that good of weapons, and there wasn't a whole lot of story significance to that area. Like, it's pretty much cleared out after the first like first thing in the morning. So the rest of the time when you go there, it's just an empty building, and you only have to go there like once for an actual, like, to, to track down one of the visionaries. It just seemed like a weird decision to me. Like, I was, I was very excited the first loop when I saw it. I was like, ooh, I wonder what's in there. And then I got in there, and it's like, oh, nothing. Yeah. <laughs> you know, you pointed yeah. out that there's just a bunch of ammo in there. This game doesn't have... I, I mean, I assume that rarities for guns and stuff like that aren't canon um so really if you think about it in the world there's only like 10 different guns yeah there's like three types of pistols two shotguns some rifles and legendary weapons unless yeah unless you're counting legendary weapons there's two pistol types the semi-auto and the hand cannons there's the well, I guess there's the SMGs too. Um, there is the the long rifles, the machine guns, and then two types of shotguns. Then legendary weapons. So there's not there's not a ton of starting types for weapons. They have a lot of interesting perks which add a little more flavor to them, but there's not there's not, you know, fifty different guns like a regular shooter you would see today in most cases. It kind of makes sense that there's not a whole lot of different weapon types, because a lot of the reason of why you'll choose a weapon will come to its perk. Some will have a perk that's like, you know, silent shots, or hitting an enemy in the head makes them explode, or creates a gas cloud, and stuff like that. Yeah, but why would I want to use the ability where, like, some of the abilities cover the same kind of ideas as other ones. So, like, why would I ever want to use a gun that makes people's heads explode if i get a headshot when there is also a gun that just explodes all the time (laughs) yeah and there are like three different types of damage over time and i don't think there's any difference between the three of them there's one difference one of them can hurt you as well and the other ones don't Uh, i assume you're talking about the gas cloud one you can get a character trinket that will make it to where you do not take damage from why would you waste a trinket on that (laughs) yeah (laughs) Because there's other trinkets that give you more health, or more defense, or more speed, or a double jump, like... Or, like, quicker hacking and, and stuff like that. Yeah, and speaking of all that stuff, let's let's talk about sort of that progression and customization system. Because it was sort of a bell curve for me. Because at first, I thought it was too confusing. And then I got a good feel for it, and then I, like, by the end, I was like, there's actually not enough to this, like... <laughs> this I is actually it. um it's cool like everything in it works well it's just that you kind of get what you're after so early 
that you're just kind of sitting on the same trinkets and weapons and stuff. Yeah. Which, let's back up a little bit and explain how this works. So if you find a weapon or a weapon upgrade or a character upgrade or anything in a loop, you will lose it at the end of the loop unless you infuse it. And the way you do that is to spend residuum, which is a energy thing you find around the map in inanimate objects or from killing bosses, which you then go back and spend to keep. And then if you've infused it, you will have that weapon at the beginning of every loop. So like... At first, you just have one gun, and you eventually pick up some others, and you infuse a couple things, and by the end, I was sitting on, like, 20 guns, I had all the powers infused, I had, like, so many different character trinkets infused, even though I was only using the same four of them every single time, like... How many powers are in the game? Six. I I don't think I got the sixth one. (laughs) Let me double I may have also missed the sixth one. (laughs) Um, so let's see. There is Aether, which makes you invisible. Um, there is Havoc, which uh, makes you invincible. Yeah. <laughs> um, there's there's blink. Nexus. Oh, yeah. Uh, bl- yeah. Uh, it's called Shift for some yeah, reason. Yeah, Shift. Shift, which lets you teleport short distances. Uh, my favorite Nexus, which when you shoot at multiple people, it will connect them, and then if you shoot one of them, it'll damage the other. It's that's funny really you say that that's, that was your favorite. That was the one I got, and I was like, "Wow, I'm never going to use this." I played a lot. I of used stealth, it though, so it was I used it a lot for me. <laughs> Even barely ever playing stealth, I still use that one a lot, just because. You could throw it in at the start of a fight, and then hit one person with a shotgun and take out a whole group. It was it was cool. All the powers are cool in different contexts. Also, I looked up a list. There are just five. Oh, okay. So it's Shift, Shift, Ether, Nexus, Havoc, and Carnesis. Oh, and Carnesis is the one we didn't describe. It's like telekinesis, but it only works on people. It's telekinesis, but with a different name. Well, it, yeah, it only basically. works on people. It doesn't work on items. It's specifically like on humans. That was the only ability I actually never used. <laughs> yeah, I never really bothered with that one. The other four all came in handy in very different contexts, though, which I thought was kind of cool. I didn't play stealth, but I ended up using the shift and ether the most. Just because I thought ether was really good for repositioning and uh, the shift. I'm probably going to switch that in and out and calling it blink, but... Blink was really useful even for fighting people up close, especially when I would go and play as uh, Juliana, since there's only one enemy you have to worry about when you're playing as her. There's a second part of the game. It's not really, it doesn't really matter too much for the story or anything, but instead of playing as Colt, you play as Juliana, and you can invade the games of people playing as Colt and try to kill them. Uh, and when you're playing as her, Shift is super overpowered because you can use it to get behind Colt really quickly and then kill him with a backstab. <laughs> that uh, that brings me to one of my pretty positive points about the game is that, you know, other than like the whole like, you know, there's mostly stealth or like running gun, you pretty much get to decide exactly how your playstyle is. You can equip character trinkets and stuff to make it to where you sprint faster or slide farther and like so like if you want you can have like your character built for movement and stealth or 
build it up to where you have tons of ammo and stuff like that so you can just go around shooting people the whole time there's a lot of variety to how you can handle every situation in this game which is very true to arcane style it's really cool but i wish that the enemies would react more to how you're playing and kind of work to outdo you if you're playing stealth then like enemies don't start looking for you more often i I don't know exactly how to word what i'm trying to say but like if you're playing as colt and you're doing a lot of stealth i wish that the enemies would set down traps or something like that (laughs) or like some way to make it harder yeah like something like some kind of punishment for blowing your cover yeah yeah and there's really not right now you can just walk in front of enemies and then wait for the the battle music to stop playing and then just do it again and they'll be like oh this is the first time i've seen you basically yeah yeah Yeah, i i feel like with stealth specifically the more you're like getting stealth kills and like if people like find bodies and stuff the more alert enemies should be for uh, instance, in... Well, that's not a problem in this game. Because every time you kill somebody, their body immediately disappears. Unless you're using the nail gun for some reason. <laughs> well, uh, people can still see like the blood from their bodies and stuff. They'll still be alerted if they see where someone was killed. Yeah. But anyways, uh, like in the Batman Arkham games, if you were constantly taking out people's stealth and they do not see you, the enemies start to go like, frantic and they're kind of like off the rails like kind of terrified and they're watching out a lot more uh for reference he's saying that they don't do this in the game i feel like in death loop enemies should be doing something like that yeah they don't do anything they're super unresponsive which granted it is presented in a lot of like little pieces of dialogue you can find that all these people are just complete idiots (laughs) Well, it's that they're, I mean, one, they're they're literally drunk, but two, they're drunk on this idea of, like, I am immortal. Like, nothing that happens here matters. Like, even if they and all their friends were killed, it doesn't matter. They're coming back tomorrow. So, I think, narratively, it kind of makes sense why they would just shrug off so much, but it does also kind of get in the way of, like, really tight tactical combat, which this game doesn't necessarily have. I guess on top of that, I I understand their thing of not wanting like the regular people to remember the individual loops. I think it's kind of lame that the visionaries don't remember what happens between loops. Or it's it's really inconsistent about if they remember or not. <laughs> yeah, and that was something that I thought the end of the game was going to sort of dig into a little bit more. But it leaves you with a lot of questions about the nature of the loop and how it affects the people inside of it. Yeah, well, like, what's the point? (laughs) This is, I'm just gonna get into story stuff, I guess, here. Probably some spoilers. Like, what's the point of the loop? (laughs) I, so, there's a lot of lore to find in the game. And I'm not gonna pretend like I found all all of it or really understand it. But it seems to me that a lot of the world is supposedly at least in the eyes of the visionaries and the eternalists garbage and it's not a great place to live in so i think what it's supposed to be is they have built this place so they can all live in a sort of utopia well and it's so they can expand upon 
what they wanted to accomplish in life without the restrictions of time. But they can't. They're even more restricted by time now. I That is sort of where that starts to fall apart a little bit, I think. I think it's supposed to be that they don't know that when the day restarts that their memories wipe. I thought there was going to be an explanation that something went wrong in the loop. Like, Well, they, they mentioned that they, they sent the loop like the rocket that Colt rode that I assume started the loop. Like they had to do that three weeks early. So maybe there was some kind of issues with that. I don't know. It just seems really weird. Like I don't, I don't get why Juliana's so like obsessed with protecting the loop because it seems like it's not helping anyone. (laughs) Well, I think in her eyes, it's, this is a cage that is keeping in these sociopaths that we're doing untold damage on the world around them i don't think she actually believes that i think she just says that to colt as like a possible option because she's just trying to throw him off the whole time i don't believe anything juliana says beyond like the things that i can verify are true well there's also i mean there's also a sense of this is the norm now like there is comfort in this where there is a lot of questions about what is happening in the world outside because they've been in they've been in this loop for an amount of time that is never specified but what is clearly a very very long time the only thing i know is that it started in the 50s and at one point colt was in the same like loop where he remembered everything for 17 years from my understanding and this is getting heavy into spoilers i think that colt had juliana with his uh with his wife before he got stuck in the loop in the first loop and then his wife uh lila i think and juliana were forced to leave the island and he was trapped there for like 17 years before he finally escaped and that's why he doesn't really have a relationship with juliana before this all starts and then at some point he comes back with the other members of eon which are, that's what the Visionaries organization that they all form together is called. Uh, he comes back with all of them, and they start up another loop for some reason. Yeah, speaking of things that aren't really, like, ex- like explained well story-wise and stuff, um, again, major spoilers, there is a lot of talk about how Colt was in an asylum, and the Visionaries helped him out of it, I don't think it was an insane asylum. I think it was just a prison. Yeah, but I like they don't. I assume it's stuff you know because there's a lot of like papers you can find to read and audio logs and stuff. But like in the story itself, none of that's really mentioned too much, and they don't. Unless it's in lore I missed, they don't uh, like explain why he was in this. There's a lot of questions in this game. That I feel like go completely unanswered. And like I, I really don't mind there being some gray or they're like not I don't mind that not all of the loose ends are tied up, but there are some big ones that aren't really addressed in a way you would have expected. Yeah, I don't even know if that timeline I kinda laid out is true or not. <laughs> like I, I don't know if Juliana was born before the first loop or maybe after the first loop. I have no idea. I'm just confused by a lot of it. 
Yeah, I feel like we got into spoilers, but we didn't give enough context. So, but like there, there's just there's so much going on in this game. Like narrative wise, it goes some crazy directions. There's there's a lot of questions that aren't answered. There's things you would have never expected that are playing into how the loop works. I like I think overall the mystery of it and the ambiguity of how it works I think is actually a net positive, but there are definitely details that aren't honed in on like I think they probably should have been. I don't think it's a net positive. I'll say it's a net neutral at best because I guess no writing or explanation for some things is better than a bad one. <laughs> <laughs> yeah <laughs> and i feel like no matter what when you start getting into these like time travel stories and stuff like that that's where bad writing always rears its head unless yeah. you have a very that i think that's why most successful time travel stories are very kind of grounded in like a very small cast and yeah not really hitting on too too much about the effects of the time travel yeah, and like this one, completely ignoring the outside world altogether. <laughs> but overall, like I, I still really, really like just about everything about this game. And the negatives, while they are, while they will ruin this game for some people, I didn't think any of it was really slowing it down too much at all. Um, I think it's high energy. It looks great. The the dynamic between Colts and Juliana is one of the best. It's like some of the best chemistry I've seen between two characters in any video game. And I think it was explored a, in a really interesting way. Like I, I just, I had a lot of fun with this game and that's something that uh, like, that's something that carried it through all the negatives in a, in a pretty significant way. Uh, I think it was something we reviewed recently, not entirely sure, but I described it as like, even though it has flaws and stuff, this game is fun through and through. And I think that can really make a game with flaws 10 times better than like a game that has not really flaws, but isn't so much fun. Granted, saying a game doesn't really isn't so much fun makes it sound like a bad game, (laughs) but... If I had to guess, that's probably from your review of either Psychonauts, Psychonauts 2, or Legend of Zelda Skyward Sword. (laughs) Considering I did not like Skyward Sword, uh, definitely not that. (laughs) But anyways, even with the flaws that this game has, it's fun the entire time. There's never a moment with this game that I thought, this is not fun and I don't want to do this. Other than the time when Jason kept hunting me while I was trying to start the final day. (laughs) I thought that was a lot of fun. You were the one killing me over and over again. (laughs) You guys, I I know Jordan, you said you only played as Juliana a few times. Then Jackson, you said you didn't play as her at all. Playing as Juliana gets significantly more fun the longer you do it. Because whether you win or lose, you still like level up and get new items. Um, and you'll get, like, new abilities, like, I started out with just Carnesis, the telekinesis ability, and that sucked, uh, because I think Colt is kind of resistant to that ability anyways, (laughs) and I didn't have any upgrades for it, but then she has her own custom ability that lets her look, like, switch appearances with another NPC on the map. Which is pretty neat for kind of getting around without it being super obvious who you are. 
Of course, if you're paying any attention, it's going to be obvious that the NPC that's double jumping is probably <laughs> is probably Juliana. But yeah. <laughs> like as you play and you get more abilities, it becomes a lot more fun. And it is kind of nice knowing that you're uh, screwing somebody out of progress. Especially <laughs> the later in the day that you're going into someone's game, I think the more fun it is because you have the knowledge that they're going to lose more. <laughs> yeah, I'm I'm really glad that when you started hunting me during the final day, it was during the first set of the day. It would have been really annoying to be in like, you know, the final part and then die. <laughs> I was really hoping that I would get you during the final part of one of your loops. Hey, and maybe that's fun for you, but it's really not for me. <laughs> <laughs> I still think it's a really cool concept that I think is it's not implemented to the absolute best possible potential, but I I think it's a cool concept that they could do a lot of really cool stuff with in a lot of other games. The coolest concept in this game, though, is I, in my opinion at least, is just the part where you gather more information about what everyone's doing uh, as you're kind of going through the time loop. Um, but I. I, that was stolen pretty much directly from Outer Wilds, <laughs> which yeah. I think also yeah. does it better. Outer Wilds has definitely been a major, major influence on all time-based anything for the last couple of years, and honestly, it's it's handled in such a unique way, but also in such a successful way, that I don't think we're going to see many games that are not influenced by Outer Wilds for a very long time. I still know nothing about that game. If you enjoyed the mystery parts of this game, that's basically what Outer Wilds is. The whole game. It's just... There's this big cosmic mystery that you're trying to solve. Why does the universe keep ending? And why do I keep getting brought back to life at the end of each day? And it is so much fun in Outer Wilds. I highly recommend picking it up uh, when you get a chance. New DLC comes out probably around the same time this podcast goes up. Yeah. Yeah. If you're listening to this podcast, the DLC for Outer Wilds is probably out. (laughs) Yeah. But it... It's tough because, like, I don't think that this game does that investigation, investigation side as well. But I do think that just the minute-to-minute gameplay is so much fun that it carries it a lot of the way, and and for me that's enough. Like I don't I don't need to defend it further because like in my eyes that is that is a, a good enough foundation that I'm just cool with it. But I know for some people that's not that's not going to do it. I mean, some people are just going to be turned off entirely by the AI right at the beginning. I mean, I saw a video of some streamer. Or something just berating IGN for giving this game a perfect score because he had like a 30 second clip where he was like standing in a door and like 10 guys ran right into him and he shot him in the head and they just kept coming. <laughs> like, like I think that just that's going to turn off some people, but I think for me, this was, this was plenty. <laughs> this I, game was enough as it was. I think the only time. My issue with it is the only time I ever felt like I was actually challenged was when actual players joined my game. Yeah, the uh, most of the times that I died like completely, uh, you get two like extra lives during a uh, 
during a time of day. So it's not just you immediately die and the day restarts. But other than the time that Jason killed me, uh, I pretty much only died due to mines that I didn't see. Juliana also kind of has this weird... uh... Juliana's at a disadvantage. It's really not fun to play as her for the first few levels because she does not have extra lives. (laughs) And one time when I joined Jackson's game, prior to this one that he's complaining about, I joined his game, I killed him, uh, and then he respawned like 10 feet away from his body. So I had just fought him, so I had no health, and he immediately killed me. (laughs) And that was really lame. Like, there was nothing I could do about it, because I I have no idea where he's going to come back at. So... (laughs) It just so happened it was right around a corner from me. Kind of lame. But then there are other times that I've joined people's games and they've been on their last life. And I was like, oh, that sucks. <laughs> Hope you didn't lose anything too valuable. <laughs> Luckily, it lets you infuse stuff between the different times of day. So it's not like one person coming in as Juliana at the very end of the day is going to take everything from you. Okay, well, that's a lot of death loop talk. So, Jackson, why don't you give us your pros and cons and your final score? I'm going to start off by saying, as of now, even though there are like only three months of the year left, this is currently my favorite game of the year, which uh, is interesting because I give this uh, before I... <laughs> Before I start actually talking about why, um, I give this game a 9 out of 10, and I gave Ratchet and Clank Rift Apart a 10 out of 10, but I still think this is my like game of the year, because it's, like I said, it's fun the entire time. There's never a moment where I did not have fun in this game, and even with like flaws like bad AI, bad AI and very low difficulty, and really high power really early it's still fun the entire time and that really makes up for it so yeah nine out of ten current game of the year but three months left so could change i'm gonna go ahead and say not quite as positive as you guys i had a lot of fun with different parts of the game and i definitely really enjoyed it for its combat and kind of the way that you could the, the versatility that you could kind of approach just about any situation, doing stealth or, you know, running gun or whatever you really want to do. But, uh, I don't know. There were plenty of times that I was playing this game where I was not having very much fun. <laughs> and, like, there were a lot of times where I just ended up kind of putting the game down. I would just, I would play for maybe a loop, and I'd just be like, eh, mm. It was definitely a game, and maybe it's just a design thing, but it was a game that I definitely didn't feel a reason to play like a lot of in one sitting. I think part of that is the structure of the loop itself. Yeah, and it's probably related to... I'm not a huge fan of roguelikes or roguelites. And this isn't necessarily one of those, because like we've said, like you can infuse your items and keep them between loops, but... 
I, I'm not a huge fan of generally games where loot is randomized for one. I think that kind of takes a lot of the challenge out. And like this game was already pretty easy even before I got overpowered loot. But I still found it a lot of fun. I really enjoyed kind of figuring out the different uh, routines of the different visionaries and kind of figuring out how I could get them all in the same place at the same time so I could take them out. I thought it was definitely a lot of fun, but I don't see myself really coming back to this game. Like, now that I'm done, I mean, there's still, like, some legendary weapons, I guess, and maybe a few logs I haven't read, but I don't really think there's anything left that this game really has to offer me. (laughs) If they do a DLC, I'll come back for it. (laughs) But, yeah, I mean, like, once you've kind of figured out what you need to do, I don't really feel like there's too too much to do anymore. Yeah, I can definitely. So agree like, with that. it was definitely fun while I was playing through it, but I like I said, don't think I'll come back really. So I a little bit less positive, but I'll, I'll give it like a, a seven, seven and a half out of ten. Like I said before, like I was just very excited like the entire time playing this game. I wouldn't say it was like perfect, like there were no lows. But I I definitely think there was, like, a constant energy in this game where even when I would, like, die and lose progress and stuff, I still felt like it was... It still felt like I was getting something out of it. And you're piecing together all this stuff. You're getting, you know, better and better arsenal and better powers. And, like, I think it's a little too quick with that stuff. But once it all comes together, I think it's very, very cool the way that you as the player interact with this world and with the visionaries, and with the loop as a whole. And I think that, you know, nothing in this game is truly unique per se, but I think that the package of Deathloop is very one-of-a-kind. And I just, I really just enjoyed it. I, I had a lot of fun with the combat, learning the world, and learning how the characters work. And I the, the whole dynamic between Colt and Juliana was fantastic. And it was, they're some of my favorite characters in a video game in a very long time. I'm not quite with Jackson where I would say it's like game of the year material, but in terms of like a totally new IP, um, I think it's definitely one of the best I've, I've played in, in a bit. It's definitely stylish. Yeah, that is, that is a good word for it. Um, yeah, so I, I would probably give it an eight and a half. So like still real good stuff, you know, solid game that I think most people would be really into gives us like an 8.33 continuing (laughs) yeah i gave my final review i said seven seven and a half my final review i guess i'll say seven and a half i definitely really liked it but definitely not game of the year for me and maybe that's partially because i played outer wilds which did the the part of the game i liked most was definitely hunting down the visionaries and kind of figuring out you know what's going on with them and that's the part that felt the most like Outer Wilds. So maybe I'm just kind of stuck like comparing it and being like, it's not quite as good as Outer Wilds. <laughs> yeah. Okay. Well, we got a lot of stuff to get into, including a TB Mini. So we're going to take a quick break and then we'll be right back with so much more. I'm here with a local Mr. Jordan Walkup, and he says that he played a recent video game 
that might surprise you that he thinks is good. Uh, Jordan, why don't you tell us about this Talus of Arasay? <laughs> Am I pronouncing that yes. right? <laughs> close, close. Uh, I have been playing Tales of Arise, the new game by Bandai Namco, and it is the 17th game in the quote-unquote Tales of series, which started with Tales of Symphonia on the GameCube. Now, this series is, it's, they're JRPGs, and they're about as JRPG as a game can be, um, but sort of the, I guess you could say, twist with this one, and why I've really connected with this one where I didn't with previous ones, is the previous games are very generic fantasy, gotta find the gems to fight the evil dragon type thing. And this game is a lot darker and a lot more grounded than any of the previous ones. This game is, as as rough as this sounds, this is a game about a bunch of freed slaves that are trying to free other slaves across their homeland. Like, it's heavy stuff pretty much right from the get-go. But it's still sort of in the Tales of package, which is this fast frantic combat that's it goes a lot of different directions but i would kind of describe it as like a mix of final fantasy 7 r and like kingdom hearts 2 it still has these instance battles where like when you're in a fight it cuts away to a special arena where just the fight happens but the fights are in real time and with an ability system that's sort of pretty similar to final fantasy 7 r where you can do primary attacks, but they're more just to like charge up so you can do special abilities and things like that. But what's really unique about this game is that it it's chaotic and it knows it's chaotic, but it helps you get there in a reasonable way. Like, I was just thinking, like playing this game just a little while ago, I'm about 20 hours in, I think I'm at roughly the midway point of the game, um... I was just thinking, like, if I were to take the last 30 seconds of this game and show it to me before I started this game, none of that would have made any sense at all. Because there's a dozen different things happening on screen. There's numbers flying everywhere. There's all these prompts to press buttons for different things coming up at all the, all the time. And, like, it's there is so much going on in this game. But you learn it in a very natural way. And I think it's genuinely some of the best action rpg combat in across the entire genre like it's 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 flashy and punchy but still has a lot of depth to it and there's a lot of different ways you can handle situations and on top of that this is just genuinely one of the best stories in this long-running series with some of the coolest characters that you know they're mechanically fit into some pretty common fantasy archetypes but all have pretty complex backstories and motivations. And the fact that there are only six of them, I think, is nice because this is a series which has thrown way too many party members at you in the past. And this time around, it just really hones in on these six characters that are all really cool, really like bring a lot to the game. And, you know, just how good the combat is, I think, carries this into. Like, it's straight up one of the most addictive games I've played in a very long time. You get into just a groove of it, of like, you know, if I fight this monster, that'll give me a buff going into this next fight, and then you end up chaining it and just 
doing a hundred fights in the same area because like you're just kind of hooked into like the grindiness of it but it's also just good enough combat that the grindiness of it is still fun pretty much the entire way through so like i think one of the biggest things with any jrpg for a lot of people is how anime (laughs) is this game (laughs) because how anime is it not as much as you would think, which is good in this. So this, uh, anime? <laughs> yeah. Like, for me, I am an anime skeptic. I think that anime is 50% awesome and 50% just garbage. Like, uh, no interest in watching it because how much of it is just ridiculous over-the-top fan service. And, like, even animes that were made for relatively young audiences still get into some really questionable stuff and like that stuff has sort of driven me away from anime as a whole and this game isn't totally rid of those things but it's certainly toned down a lot like this game is 90 percent the cool stuff of anime and 10 percent the stupid tropey stuff that makes anime hard to watch but what percentage concentrated power of will is it a hundred percent it's it's solid no, but this is a, a very, very good game. Even if you're not one that's super big into JRPGs, I think there's a lot here to like. And I think that, you know, the story, the characters, the world is all cool enough that, you know, in, if there's any one part of this game you don't love, I still think there's a lot here you're going to like. So if you're the type where you've really liked the Tales of series in the past or you've liked other action RPGs, I definitely recommend giving this one a shot. I would say this is a this is a highly recommended game in my book. Um, I have a question from the producers here. How Kojima is it? In relation <laughs> to is... the, the famous video game director and producer Hideo Kojima. So this game is not very Kojima at all. But... I think is more Kojima than the average Tales of game. So do what you will with that information. Was that a Hayden? Oh no, Jackson's gone. Hayden just walked into my room while recording. Parents did not even care to stop him. (laughs) Wow. You seem like such a great guy if we just take this part. Let's leave this in. (laughs) <laughs> Let's leave in the part where he gets he yells at his parents because his baby brother walked into his room. I was just yelling so they could hear me. <laughs> sure, sure. Just so you know, anybody that thinks Jackson is funny or relatable on this podcast, he yells at children. <laughs> hey, I spend way too much time playing Destiny 2. I'm totally a relatable person. <laughs> Anyways, that does it for another TB Mini. So, let's get into those headlines. Nintendo fans rejoice. <laughs> Let's leave. <it. laughs> I don't. I didn't was, mean for that to be so low energy. <laughs> there was a lot of Nintendo news this week, mainly in the form of a Nintendo Direct that had some interesting, you know, reveals for new games. Some updates on some games that we've known are in the works, and a uh, couple, couple just big expansions and add-ons and things to some existing games. So, like, a lot to get into with this one. 
and we're going to start off strong with probably probably one of the things I'm most excited about out of this direct is that we're getting a 3D Kirby, like the first proper 3D Kirby, and it's coming to the Switch next year. I'm going to go ahead and say it, and you know what? People can make fun of me or whatever, but... I'm getting some Mario Odyssey vibes from this. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I've I've been a big fan of Kirby for a long time. I played the ones on the Game Boy a lot. I don't remember what they were. Something like uh, Magic Mirror. That was one of them. And the other one was Return to Dreamland, maybe? <laughs> yes, there we go. Yeah. But, yeah, we're, we're finally getting the first, like true and true 3d platformer kirby i'm a little bit skeptical about how kirby's abilities will sort of move into the third dimension because it's a very platforming heavy franchise but it still looks really cool and the it's called uh, kirby in the forgotten land and it seems like the premise is that kirby stumbles into a world sort of akin to our own where the native species is long extinct. So that's a weird direction. Yeah, it just showed like a big city that was completely overgrown and there were Kirby monsters in it. Because of course there were. But Kirby isn't the only big new release that they announced. They also announced Splatoon 3, which is a big deal if you like Splatoon, I guess. Hey, I'm real excited for it. Splatoon 1, good. Splatoon 2, pretty good. Splatoon 3 is hopefully going to continue that amazing, uh, you know, tradition of being, and I quote, pretty good. (laughs) They're fun games. They're not, I mean, they're not great games. Pretty short. I never even really bothered with the multiplayer. I just found it to have some fun mechanics. To me, it just looked like more of the same. You can same. go... Alright. Yeah. You can yeah. go from a kid to a squid. <laughs> what more like, do you need in a game? That rhymes. Yeah. I think. I, I'd have to get a linguist to tell me if it rhymes. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> the, the first two games seemed very multiplayer-centric, and I'm sure this one will be as well. But the new trailer really kind of honed in on the story, I guess, and that it's, it almost seems like it's kind of setting up like a Splatoon universe entirely outside of the multiplayer aspect. So that's interesting. You, did, I, I you didn't play Splatoon 2, did you, bud? <laughs> I did not. Yeah, it it looks a... like it's just expanding on... Splatoon 2 oh, also yeah. had a story mode that kind of established like... There's a big history and like multiple wars and stuff like that. Hmm. Interesting. The first one I don't really remember because I think the first one came out in like 2014. The first I... one was just the multiplayer, I think. No, it it had a story. It was just very short, even shorter than the one from the second game. But regardless, Splatoon three, it's coming summer of next year. Speaking of the number three, they also announced a new Bayonetta game. Which... Whoa, whoa, whoa. They technically announced this game years ago. We just finally got gameplay. Bayonetta is interesting. It's definitely the most uh, mature Nintendo property. <laughs> Absolutely. It's also one of those games where, like, 
I see trailers and stuff, and like I think like I see the appeal. I get why people are into this. I have no interest in this series. Like something about this just seems like it is so not for me, and I don't really know what it is. I'm... I couldn't get into Devil May Cry. I've only I've only played like a significant amount of one of the Devil May Cries. So like that's kind of my only basis for this type of game. Was it one of the normal ones or was it DMC? Because this is a platinum it was game. Five. Yeah. The most this is one. platinum games. The only Devil May Cry game they made was DMC. Hmm. Um. All platinum's more unique, I I think, than just what you see in. Or they they do a lot more than what you see in uh, Devil May Cry. Um, if you've played Metal Gear Rising Revengeance, <laughs> I think they That's did a, a lot of the gameplay for Near Automata, if I'm remembering correctly. Um, there's definitely some good ones. They're really good for hack and slash games. That said, I haven't played any of the Bayonetta games. So, it's just something to keep an eye on. And if you're interested in Bayonetta... Definitely big news. <laughs> I don't know why I feel like felt like getting into Splatoon and Bayonetta, but I I just think they were the only big like um, new game announcements we really got that I cared about. Well, both were already announced. Like at least Splatoon three was last year. I don't know when Bayonetta three was though. It's been a bit because it was revealed. It was revealed that it was coming to Switch like three or four years ago. But they also said at the time, like, we have no information, so like, hold tight. <laughs> I don't think people quite expected it to be this long to get it off the ground, though. I think you might just be thinking of Bayonetta 2 and the announcement for that. Because when Bayonetta 2 was a Switch exclusive in 2014. Hmm. When what? It, when That's it was a good announced. possibility. Yeah, so Nintendo bought Bayonetta after the first game did pretty well did you just not mean to say 2014 or something Bayonetta you said was two. a switch yeah you said was the switch exclusive in 2014 sorry it was a wii u exclusive in 2014 and okay. then they remade I was, it for the switch i just didn't know if you meant like if you meant to say wii u or if you meant 2017 no but when they re-released uh I guess they might have announced that they were working on a new Bayonetta when they re-released it for the Switch. But I don't think it was that long ago. Other than that, there's more important things to talk about. Yeah. Like one of my favorite series getting a new game after all this time. Rune Factory? Yeah, you got it. No, we're talking about Metroid Dread. A game that's only a few weeks away and I am ecstatic for. This is... Definitely the game I'm most excited for, for the remainder of this year at least. They've been doing frequent updates about Metroid Dread's like, lore and the gameplay mechanics and stuff, and I've been keeping a close eye on everything, and like every time I'm, I'm just a little bit more excited, and we're, we're real close, folks. <laughs> I, what is it? I, October I fully suspect 6th? Something to that effect, yeah. I'm calling my shot here. Metroid Dread is going to be, bare minimum, like, top three games of this year. <laughs> like, I just have a feeling that it's going to be... I just have a feeling it's going to be, like, astronomically better than people are expecting. I mean, Metroid fans have high high hopes. 
but a lot of people in like the comment sections of stuff about it are all like a 2d platformer 2021 or they're charging full price for this like i i think people are gonna be blown away by this game just from everything that i've seen and i'm just gonna go ahead and call my shot no man's sky is not gonna be the best game of 2016 too true no metro dread looks pretty good uh i think the robots are interesting and the fact that they're kind of getting into samus's history which they do it a little bit in every game, but I didn't play those games. <laughs> I've only played Super Metroid and then the Prime series. so They've never done it as seemingly explicitly as they are doing in Metroid Dread. Like, they're really harking in on the Chozos and what that means for, for Samus. and I'm, I'm really interested to see it. There's a lot about this game I'm just very, very excited for. Kind of brings up why I'm... Pretty excited for this game, even though I don't really like 2D platformers. It's like, most 2D platformers are like, you know, very minor story. Go save princess. That's it. And then your average 2D platformer gameplay. But then you got something like this, which is actually going to dive into like, I guess, some like, lore or just some new information in the universe and actually expand on it while also having... uh metroidvania gameplay <laughs> i think that the metroidvania concept will would really change your opinion on 2d platformers in general i think that that is a lot more story focused there's a lot more emphasis on the world there's a lot more continuity it's not just like broken up levels or separate things i i think there's a lot more to 2d games than you're you're thinking because you see it through the lens of the big the big names like Mario and Donkey Kong and Kirby and stuff like that. I don't think this really do that because Metroidvanias are a lot different gameplay-wise than pretty much every other 2D platformer. I also think that Metroidvania is one of the like most popular genres today. Like there are so many games that fit into that category now. Moving on. We got the game that Final Fantasy fans have been waiting for forever. <laughs> That's right. 2022 Nintendo Switch. We're getting Chocobo GP. The racing game where the main... It's what? a kart racing game like Mario Kart. But for some reason... So it's a Chocobo driving a car. Which is a real letdown, because in the original Chocobo racing game, he was on roller skates. And, like, this is not that. Why but is no, he driving actually... a car? Why don't we just ride Chocobos? <laughs> I, I don't understand the game. concept of this understand. game. Also, I think Vivi's here, or maybe it's just a random black mage. Yeah, there is sort of a weird, uh, weird idea with Final Fantasy that... Vivi is like a named established character from Final Fantasy IX, but he's also stand-in for generic black mage and everything. <laughs> and somehow everybody's just like, that's fine. <laughs> so Is it going to so, be Final Fantasy characters, or is it just like generic Final Fantasy-esque it, stuff? It's the monsters and the summons, as far as I can tell. So nothing that is specific to a... In, like to an individual Final Fantasy game, but this is pretty much focusing on the recurring elements of Final Fantasy games. 
I think it actually looks like a lot of fun. I mean, it seems very Mario Kart inspired, which, you know, all kart racing games are. But this one looks even more blatant than most. <laughs> I'm going to be a... Oh, wait, maybe the Chocobo is on roller skates, actually. I- I'm looking at pictures now. I'm going to be a Sid main, either way. So it's mostly... Yeah, it's definitely someone on roller skates. Ah, good. Um, But... There was also, like, a random girl. <laughs> I think that was supposed to be, like, generic white mage, kind of in the same way VV is generic black mage. Oh. Just looks like a normal girl. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. So, I have a list here. These are the characters that uh, make appearances. You have the behemoth, you have chocobo, you have Dungeon Hero X, who is from Chocobo's Dungeon. You have Gilgamesh, who started in Final Fantasy V, but has appeared many times since. You have Mecha Chocobo, Shiroma from the Chocobo series, Steiner, and Vivi, who both got their starts in Final Fantasy IX, but have kind of been like stand-in generic character in other stuff. Well, wait, the so. Vivi model was the stand-in for Black Mages all the way back in like Final Fantasy I, I'm pretty sure. Hmm. Interesting. Well, and I guess Steiner isn't really one that shows up in a lot of other stuff. He's like the knight type. Maybe they just went with stuff from Final Fantasy IX because it's the most in line with the Chocobo series art style. <laughs> that would make sense. I think it would be cooler if they would just... Ah, I don't know. I don't want to say this anymore. I was going to say, I-, I think it would be cooler if they just went with... Uh... Final Fantasy characters in a kart racing game. That seems almost too fan y in premise. <laughs> uh, are we going to complain about fan service in a franchise where like Dissidia exists? <laughs> oh, absolutely not. Or or where have you seen the mobile games? Oh yeah, they're they're rough. But Chocobo GP. But you didn't think that was a game we were going to talk about this long? <laughs> well, he rides roller skates, not a car. We just yeah, need to. Which is all I need I to make it clear. For. Originally, I said we he drives a car, but he does not drive a racing car. Games. He roller skates, and I think his roller skates have engines. Maybe I don't know. Okay, so let's. I'm gonna just do like a rapid fire in case somehow this is the first time you've heard anyone talk about this Nintendo Direct. Here's all the stuff we didn't talk about. There's a Monster Hunter Rise major expansion called Sunbreak coming next summer. There's the the game Project Triangle Strategy has been renamed to just Triangle Strategy and received a release window of March 2022. Uh, Yoko Taro's Voice of Cards uh, is a card game that looks very, very weird uh, that's coming in October. Dying Light 2 is coming to Switch when it releases in February, but it's only going to be a cloud version, so be prepared for whatever that means. Uh, Koopa Troopa, Ninji, and two other uh, two new courses are all just were all just added to uh, Mario Golf Super Rush. Let's see, Disco Elysium's coming to Switch in October with a physical release next year. Hyrule Warriors: Age of Calamity's expansion pass is going to have new content in October. Uh, Dizzy's Magical World Two, which is a port of a 3DS game, is coming this winter and it looks very very bad. Uh, the Shadowrun trilogy is coming to Switch next year. Rune Factory 5 is coming next year. Delta Rune Chapter 2 is on Switch right now. So it was a whole bunch of stuff. Oh, and of stuff course, we couldn't... they also announced the Nintendo Switch Online expansion pack, 
which is going to add a whole host of Nintendo 64 and surprisingly Sega Genesis games to their <laughs> uh, whatever like online game library. But you're going to have to pay more for it. It's not included in the current plan. They're adding a new one, which is just called like Switch Online Plus or something like that. And the leaks were right. They also are going to have new Nintendo 64 and Sega Genesis controllers for the Switch. So, so if, if you so want to play wanna Nintendo use... 64 games the way that they were originally intended, and also the Badly. worst possible way to play them, <laughs> you, you might be able to if you can get your hands on one of those controllers. Oh, they're going to be sold out so fast. <laughs> I'm, I'm probably going to grab one. <laughs> I would never. I hated that controller at the time, and that was before I even had the context of actually good controllers to compare it to. That was in a time where I was like, wow, the GameCube controller is so much better than this one. There's still people saying uh, that. Yeah. Smash yeah. fans are weird. They played Melee for so long that they still think that the, the GameCube controller is superior to whatever. Yeah. It's fine. I, I still use the GameCube, GameCube controller for Smash, but the Pro Controller is better for literally everything else. Like, every other conceivable thing you could do with a controller. The only good thing... I'm gonna... This is hot takes. The only good thing that the Nintendo GameCube controller has that modern controllers don't is the fact that the uh, the analog stick is in, like, an octagon or something. So it's easier yeah. to tell what way you're pointing. Yeah, you can do uh, the quarter directions easier it's not a significant change but it, it does come in handy if you're of the really high precision type but that just about does it for the nintendo direct except for one very confusing thing that just came out of nowhere about three quarters of the way in and i gotta just like stop for a minute and just like think about how we're even gonna start this but mario movie yeah, two. We've known a Mario movie was coming for a while now. Chris Pratt. <laughs> yeah, now we know that it's coming next year. It's being directed by the director of Teen Titans Go to the Movies, Aaron Horvath, and the producer of Teen Titans Go to the Movies. But he's directing, not producing. I don't. It's weird, and it's coming from Illumination, the same group that has brought us so many minions. Um, but the really wild thing that came out of this is we got that cast. And like Jackson said, Chris Pratt's voicing Mr. Mario, Mario. And I, I'm just confused. What is this movie even going to be? I believe his name is Mario Brothers. <laughs> yeah, yeah. But anyways... We got Chris Pratt as Mario, Charlie Day as Luigi, Anya Taylor-Joy as Peach, Jack Black as Bowser. I'm going to stop there for a minute because I think we just need to decompress and think about what I just said. Let's just take a moment. All right, there's one more big one that we need to get through. The rest are ancillary. Let's take a moment of silence. <laughs> Take a moment of silence for all the Italian Americans that were that were completely cut out of this role as Mario. <laughs> and now I'll tell you 
Donkey Kong will be played by Seth Rogen of the hit movie uh, Knocked Up, I guess. <laughs> yeah. Of the hit movie An American Pickle. <laughs> that was Seth Rogen, right? I don't even remember. I, I don't know why, but in a movie where Chris Pratt is voicing Mario... For some reason, I find Charlie Day as Luigi to be the weirdest one of these. Other than that, though, but in a world where Chris, where Chris Pratt is voicing Mario, Jack Black as Bowser, and Seth Rogen as Donkey Kong feels right. Yeah. yeah. Uh, we're also got Keegan-Michael Key playing Toad, Fred Armisen playing Cranky Kong, Kevin-Michael Richardson as Kamek, and some other guy playing Spike. I had never even heard of this dude. Sebastian Maniscalco. And then Charles Martinet as, and I quote, surprising cameo roles. <laughs> Charles Martinet, of course, is the current voice actor for Mario, Wario, Waluigi, I don't know. He voices a lot of characters in the in the Mario universe. And the fact that he is not playing Mario in this seems weird. I I have a hard time picturing anything where Mario talks a lot. You know? Like, the fact that these characters are going to be saying more than their generic catchphrases is weird to me. They're going like, to somehow ruin all of Mario. <laughs> yeah, I don't, I don't understand Mario's going to say something weird and then it's going to recontextualize everything I've ever done. In a Mario game, and I'm gonna not like it. <laughs> yeah, because you know if they're having Chris Pratt play him, he's going to. There's going to be some blue humor in this. Like, it's going to go that direction, and it's going to really change the concept of Mario. <laughs> it's gonna ruin the sanctity of Mario. <laughs> Do you think Mario is gonna be a plumber in this movie? Yeah, because I think that's going to be a source of a lot of the aforementioned blue humor. If they're going to do this, I need it to be aggressively stereotypical like it was in the uh, like in the old the cartoon. Show? Yeah. 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 This movie's going to be bad. Don't get me wrong. I'm really excited for it because I think it's going to be an absolute train wreck. But I, I, I don't know. Like, why is this movie, why is it not, like, why Why are the characters going to talk? Like, why do they even need famous voice actors to play them? If it, if it were up to me, I would just introduce some new, like, secondary characters, and they would do, like, the talking that would motivate the plot. Wow. Like, You're talking exactly how a lot of bad movies got made in the 90s. <laughs> well, There yeah, just doesn't need to I be also, a Mario movie, and we right, believe it I mean, that. that's the... That's the first point, but like if I had to make one, this is also not the way I would do it. Yeah, I I don't get it. So it's <sighs> gonna be wild, y'all. Naturally the internet was not thrilled with uh these announcements. Um expect a lot of criticism over the following weeks that will could very well lead to some changes in this before the movie actually hits. They're not going to change but, the cast. No, no, no. But they might change, like... They now understand how unhappy people are with this. <laughs> so. I'm concerned, because I don't think we've seen any 
like video from the movie at all. Nope. This yeah. could be a Mario well, or a, a Sonic situation. Yeah. I'm sure it will still be 3D animated. Like, I don't think there's going to be any live action to this at all. But there, there could be. <laughs> I just think people need to be prepared before they put their eyes upon this. Yeah, man. I love <laughs> The Lion King. Uh, they, people need to, like... You need to go in expecting nothing and something you couldn't comprehend at the same time. I think also, just to make this movie enjoyable, you'll probably need to spend, like, the first week before going to watch it, like, doing stuff that makes you severely depressed. In I don't... deep meditation. <laughs> no, I don't no, no, no. Think... Jackson says you need to be depressed to watch this movie. Because otherwise, I... I... Your Unless life needs kid. to be so devoid of joy that seeing yeah. this gives you something. Yeah, because <laughs> otherwise it will give you nothing. <sighs> God, I'm excited. <laughs> <laughs> okay, well, let's let's break away from whatever this was and get into some of the heavy stuff. Jackson, what is something else you have been into this week besides Deathloop? <laughs> uh... Oh no, I was uh, hoping you wouldn't ask me this. <laughs> um Go ahead and tell us about Destiny 2. I haven't really been playing much of that. Uh mostly because I've been playing Deathloop. And now that I'm in school, I don't get too much time in my day anymore. Um but uh and uh, I've been watching Ted Lasso, because it's good. Uh Jordan, have you talked about this on the podcast before? <laughs> I have. Okay. Um well then I'm just gonna say it's it's pretty good. And if you haven't watched it, you should watch it. Cause it's good. Anyways <laughs> I did play like five or six matches of the Halo Infinite beta when it started I think yesterday. <laughs> it's pretty fun. Um yeah, it feels like a uh, classic Ur Halo, but also due to its more, I wouldn't say advanced, but it has a lot more movement than previous Halo games. More movement, he says. Yeah. <laughs> movement plays a bigger factor into how the game will play out, um, mostly because there is an incredible slide. And then you also have like the grapple shot and stuff. But it's like if older Halo games and Titanfall had a baby, but without the Titans and the wall running and the double jumping. If you just take out like everything from Titanfall. Yeah. <laughs> you take like a few parts of Titanfall and then most of Halo, it's that. If you take that one pistol shotgun thing from titanfall and then halo it's that (laughs) (laughs) the uh the only downside about this beta though is that i think it got announced the beginning of this week which uh so like uh like the 19th or something i don't know and when it was announced that this beta would be happening they said if you weren't signed up before the 13th you wouldn't be able to play it (laughs) which on one hand 
I think works for them to, you know, try to get a better feel of how many people will actually be playing this, which helps the server side. On the other hand, uh, kind of sucks for people that weren't yet signed up because the previous beta was not like this. They don't care about, it's not about server size or anything. It's just about building up hype. Because they already know what size servers they need for a new Halo game. Because they can look at the Master Chief Collection and how much people were playing those games. Or the most recent Halo game. Well, I was morally saying that I think what it is is like the server that they have for this game is probably not very large since this is just a beta. No, they just did it to build up hype. I promise. It's just to lock people out. It's just to be like, oh, well, I guess you'll have to wait now. They want it to be like an exclusive club thing. Yeah. So now everybody's going to go and like sign up and give them their email addresses and stuff just in hopes they'll do this again. <laughs> and Which, speaking of that, uh, so this beta runs from, I either want to say the 23rd to the 27th or the 29th. And then about a week after that, there's another one. But you still had to be signed up by this uh september 13th date to be able to be in the second one (laughs) anyways that's the things that i've been doing a little bit of because the rest of my time was death loop so jason what have you been doing well i'm glad you asked i picked up death stranding director's cut and um to go back to that question i asked earlier in the tb mini this game is very Kojima. <laughs> How Kojima? Yes. <laughs> Would uh, you say it's like a game made by Kojima? This isn't funny anymore. Good. <laughs> I played it a little bit when it originally came out, and I haven't really played too much of the new stuff, but this game's really pretty. <laughs> and also, it starts out really weird. Uh, some things that I've kind of picked up on that I didn't notice the first time, is uh, they pretty much established that the main character can't die. (laughs) Which is interesting. (laughs) Like, even in the story of the game, they're just like, you're a repatriate, which means you can't die. You can just go back to your body. Yeah. So it's like, (laughs) those are some interestingly low stakes. Um, And the cutscenes... They're just so Kojima-esque. I, I don't even know. Like, it's just... It immediately gets into weird stuff without, like, really giving you any explanation of what's going on. It's just like, oh, it started raining. And when you, if you get wet from the rain, then you start aging. <laughs> and and you can, and then all the birds die or whatever. <laughs> and, like, his hair turns gray when a drop lands on it. But his jacket's okay, even though it's raining, like, directly onto the jacket. Whatever. <laughs> but... I've only just kind of started it. I haven't played too, too much of it, but I'm kind of excited to get into it. I've heard very middle-of-the-road things about it. (laughs) I've heard a lot of people that say, like, oh, it's just like a package delivery game. And then I've heard other people say, like, it's a package delivery game. (laughs) They're still saying the same things, but one side is weirdly excited about those things. I've pretty much only heard two things about this game. I've either heard that it's extremely good or that it's extremely bad. I've never heard any middle-of-the-road opinions. 
I think it's really interesting that people can just kind of leave stuff on the map for you. Like, if somebody dies or drops, like, cargo, then you can just pick it up (laughs) and deliver it anyways. Or the fact that, like, if somebody puts a ladder down, it'll appear in your game, too. It's just... That's a really neat concept. Uh, I am sad to say they took the Monster Energy drink out of the game, so... That can only mean bad things, I'm sure. (laughs) Wasn't there some other product in the game... I can't there was remember a, what it there is. There was though. a whole bunch. I think the product placement... Uh, this is going to sound weird. I, I think it kind of worked in Death Stranding. When I played... Like, what little I played of the original. Because it kind of grounds you into being like... It, it makes the world feel more realistic when you see things that you've seen in the real world. Like, I know a lot of people are fairly against product placement, but I think it's kind of, like, a cool way to kind of ground the world and show, like, similarities. I don't know. I can't really put it into words exactly. It's just, you know, it makes the world seem more like our own world if there's Pizza Hut and Monster Energy. It's not going to have that cool scene like NBA 2K where you get to go and talk to Jake from State Farm for like a solid minute. There's obviously taking it too far, right? (laughs) Like if the product placement becomes part of the story and the Monster Energy product placement was ridiculous in Death Stranding because like you would literally constantly be drinking Monster Energy because you needed to keep your stamina up in order to, you know, walk across America. Well, you also had to fill your pee meter. Had to fill your fill your pee meter with Monster your, Energy drink. Your Peter, no, I hate that. Never mind. <laughs> well, anyways, Jordan, what you been up to? Well, I'll be honest. You already talked about it all. Yeah, it's already been a lot of Death Loop and Tales of Arise. So I'm going to talk about uh, this this little band called Wolfpack. And if, if you're like me and you hear the name many times before you finally pick up on what is being said, it is V-U-L-F-P-E-C-K, Wolfpack. They are a percussion-heavy, sort of funk-inspired band, but they have a lot of really like upbeat, high-energy, happy music about all kinds of stuff. Um, they're, they're just, it's a really great band, and they have a lot of stuff on YouTube it's not just them playing music either. Like, I mean, it is, but there will also be like, like they do those crazy videos, like four guys playing this one piano in public. And, you know, like they, they do, they make music and the perform, they do performance art music. That's what I'm trying to say. Uh, and uh, their YouTube channel is great. They have really great streaming stuff on Spotify. They're really, they're a really good band with very, very talented, very technical musicians that do something that a lot of bands today don't do. So, yeah, check them out. They're very funk-inspired, very pop-inspired, but all very, very musical and instrument-heavy. And, yeah, it's good stuff. Good stuff. Highly recommend them. But that just about does it for another episode of the Totally Biased Media Podcast. If you would like to reach out to us, we have several ways you can do that. First, on Twitter, at TBMCast. On Instagram, at Totally Bias Media. 
you can send us an email to totallybiasedmedia at gmail.com. Or you can find us on applications like TikTok and Twitch, but probably not very frequently. Uh, I believe it's just Totally Biased Media on both. (laughs) Okay, well, I think that just about does it. So, for the Totally Biased Media podcast, I'm Jordan Walkup. I'm Jason Simmons. And I'm Jackson Walkup. You just felt the bias. (laughs) Thank you, everybody. Goodbye. I do finger guns when I say that.